It's October 2010. Lady Gaga has recently turned up to receive an award in a dress made of meat, and in a few months, Prince William will kiss Kate Middleton not one, but two times on the balcony after their wedding. Back in New Zealand, the song Just The Way You Are by Bruno Mars has been enjoying the number one spot on the charts for all of two weeks when a local song up and knocks it out of position. The song is Something in the Water and it's the lead single from Brooke Fraser's third album, Flags. And while her previous albums had already made her a household name, this was her first number one song in New Zealand. The song was a hit. For a while you actually couldn't go anywhere without hearing it. Think supermarket aisles, taxis, clothing stores. It was everywhere. And it was catchy, so chances are if you heard it you'd be humming or whistling it for quite a while afterwards. The first time you hear it you feel like it's always been there and you've always known it. When she delivered that we knew we had a hit. Everything about the record was right. The length of it, the pace of it, the message of it. That's a smash. In terms of the ambitions and hopes of Brooke and her team, Flags was a runaway success. But she had to fight hard for these songs. It was just a lot. She was just tired. She was over it. Gosh, I was quite traumatised, <laughs> apparently. I'm Melody Thomas, and this is Resonate, 10 years of Brooke Fraser's Flags. Over three episodes, we're going to dive into the album's singles and B-sides, hear from Brooke and her team about everything that went into this album. The people and places, the writing and recording sessions, touring, fans and more. In this episode, we'll focus on the hits. They're the songs that took over the radio and introduced Flags to a bigger and more enthusiastic audience than Brooke had ever had. The gentleman who was following me started walking faster. I broke into a jog, he broke into a jog, I broke into a sprint, he broke into a sprint. You're going to want to stick around for the rest of that story, but for now, let's rewind to 2009. So at this point, Brooke has two albums under her belt. She's got her debut, What To Do With Daylight, which she recorded when she was 19, and Albertine, which had come out in 2006 and introduced her to America. Both albums were big hits, elevating Brooke to household name alongside artists like Beck Runga and Anika Moore, but her success had come at a cost. Off of the back of touring Albertine, Brooke got burnt out. She was exhausted by the emotional toll of dragging out deeply personal songs night after night after night. And when it came to writing, the steady stream of songs that had seemed to flow from her without too much effort appeared to falter. And in three years, she'd only written three songs. And like it takes a lot of time to get that exhausted, that deep in your bones, and so it's going to take a bit of time to, to rejuvenate in all of those places. As we're going to hear, Brooke's recovery from burnout was slow and steady. It was a culmination of moments, people and places that helped her to put herself back together. And Brooke's journey would take her all around the world, from the mountains of North Carolina to the remote beaches of the Coromandel here in New Zealand, to the Sonoma Coast in California, and to a little music festival you might have heard of called Coachella. I remember being at Coachella with 
some of my best friends in the whole world. And I remember going to, to the Fleet Foxes show. They were playing on like one of the side stages and they were playing just as the sun went down. And I think it was, it was one of the songs where it's very much minimal instrumentation and just their voices. And I remember as the sun went down in Coachella, you know, Fleet Foxes were um, singing the song in perfect harmony. And I just looked around at all of these people kind of bathed in this orange glow, absorbed in this music. And um, at that moment, we were all connected. And I remembered, you know, the, the purity and power of music. I was reminded that I had been given this gift, however small, of, of being able to write songs that maybe would matter to a few people. Probably one of my greatest fears in life is, is missing what I was put on the earth to do. And for some reason, I know that one of the reasons that I'm here is to bring songs into the world for whoever they might assist. And so in that moment, I think my flame was might have been dimmed, but it was still there. And um, I realised that it still existed and then it was time to kind of give it some oxygen and um, let it kind of come to life again. Come on now darling, let's shake off these blues I'll let my hair out, you slip off your shoes I feel like a baby, you're born in the spring I'm setting down the sadness and I won't remember it When I'm bright as the sun and you're Brooke finds her creative flame dimmed but still burning. The next step is to feed it the fresh air it needs to ignite. I've always found that travel has really helped and the, the ch a change of geography, a change of scenery has always kind of sparked something in me. So in the summer of 2009, I went to the mountains of North Carolina and I spent two weeks alone in this house in the wilderness and the nearest town was nine miles away. And I remember I, for some reason, I would watch Law and Order at night and then I would always have to turn it off before the scary theme music started at the end, like the da-dun. And I would put plastic bags all over the house in case there was an intruder because <laughs> I was so far from help. I don't think there were actually any finished songs that came out of that experience, but that was where the concept for the album landed. I loved kind of just, I would drive into town to get my supplies and be driving through these forested mountains and seeing all the rem remains of these old cabins. And I would imagine the people that had lived there and what their lives had been and why they left or were kicked out or whatever had happened in their lives. And, um, and I, I wrote in this kind of journalish entry in my mind they they looked like flags i suppose flags mark their impermanent place on the land blowing bright and beautiful then worn and ragged for a while before they go back to the ground and now we walk the ground others have walked flags ourselves so that's where it started that clearing on scaly mountain in north carolina Flags is the result of this very literal journey, the one that took Brooke to all these different places around the world, but it's also a collection of the characters she met along the way. Her friend and sometime bandmate Ben West helped with introducing one of these characters, Betty. So in that kind of song foraging time, I went to Michigan where Ben lives and we drove out to a studio really deep in the woods. I think it might even have been across state lines and we wrote there for a little while and Betty was um, one of the songs that came out of that. Got your scars and you got your 
is an easy one to talk about actually because it isn't based on any particular real person. It's kind of a, a composite of those girls we all know who, who are outwardly apathetic but inwardly tortured, you might say. I feel for Betty because I know a lot of people like her. I've met so many people who power is oxygen, even if they're not of a particularly high social status, but this imagined satisfaction that feels kind of to them just beyond their reach, but if they can just boost up a little more in the social circle or if they can just acquire these couple more things, then, then they would achieve that sense of fulfillment that evades them. So I think, you know, we all know people like that and sometimes we are people like that, you know, in seasons of our lives. And so I think I have a lot of a lot of sympathy um, for someone like Betty and I kind of, I wish her well and I, and I hope that um, she can make some good friends who will love her where she's at but also love her enough not to let her stay there and to find that there's a little more to life than she thinks. In the next episode of Resonate, we're going to dive deeper into the making of flags and into the ways that Brooke recovered the strength she needed to write and record. But for now, we'll fast forward to a few weeks before the recording sessions start. So Brooke, her management and her team at Sony have got 90% of the songs they need for flags written, ready to record. They've got Coachella, which would go on to be the third single from the album, and they've got Betty. Kim Bosher was the head of Sony Music New Zealand at the time, having recently stepped into the job. Once we sort of had the bulk of the record, we knew we still didn't have the hit, inverted brackets, like that big pop song. We didn't have something in the water. This is Brooke's longtime manager and friend, Campbell Smith. And I think we had been saying to Brooke that we needed another single. You know, if we were going to leave with Betty, we still needed another single, and perhaps there wasn't a single following Betty that could do the job we would need it to do. So we were encouraging her to continue to write. Singles are an important part of a pop record. They're the songs that are released first, which hopefully make their way to radio stations and music television to announce the arrival of a new album and, if it all goes well, reel in some new fans for the artist. And Brooke has an excellent track record as a singles writer. Here's how music critic Nick Bollinger puts it. She's a pop craftsperson. That's the thing about Brooke, I think. She's one of these people who's got the hotline to hook heaven. You know, she really has choruses that stick with you. So from the outside, it seems obvious. The album needs another single. Easy, Brooke writes singles. But that's not how Brooke sees it. By nature, I'm not a singles writer but I just happen to have written a bunch of singles I don't walk into a studio and feel really confident that I'm going to come out with a hit at any point I never have felt that way and I don't think I ever will feel that way there's practicality interwoven with freedom (laughs) so you know I have all this freedom as an artist to to articulate what I want to articulate and to present this body of work but I recognize as well that a painting 
needs corners and the corners are often how people find it and so a single kind of I suppose in that way functions like a corner like this is where you start and then some people will dive into the rest of the work and and explore the body of work that you've created and other people will only ever touch the corner and that's fine and so singles is a tough thing I've never known how to write singles. Okay so maybe Brooke doesn't entirely know how it is that she writes these singles but her next one would prove that her hotline to hook heaven was still well and truly open. Scott and I, we were newlyweds, we were living in this little apartment in Studio City on Vineland and Bluffside. And I remember I had that kind of verse melody and those words and that feeling for a long time. And Scott is a songwriter, he was writing songs long before I met him. And so I remember for weeks on end, I was playing this verse and trying to figure out what came next. And I would write in the living room often and I could, he would kind of, you know, come into the kitchen to get a drink of water or something and I could see this look on his face. (laughs) He's such an idea. He's the greatest ideator that I know. He is never short of ideas. And so I kind of realised after a few weeks that the look on his face was his ideas face and that he had an idea, but that that he was not about to volunteer it uh, because he's so kind and respectful. And so finally one day, I think I said to him, do you have any ideas (laughs) about what this chorus could be? And he was like, Oh, I do actually. And I was like, okay, come sit down. And he literally, I think, sang sang the chorus as it is, just, ah, there's something in the water, there's something in the water. And um, I was like, that's it. And so, <laughs> so God bless my husband, Scott, who sat on that one for weeks while I agonized trying to find what he already had. one thing to write a single, it's quite another to recognise it as the single. For us now it seems so obvious that this is the song to take flags to the world, but at the time it wasn't that clear. Here's Brooke's manager Campbell again. I remember she played me that song in her apartment and I didn't immediately recognise how good a song it was because it was different. It was such a something that I was not expecting to hear so I was a little bit surprised by it I guess and that kind of threw me off a little bit. And I, I will put my hand up and say that I didn't recognise at that stage that it could be what it was. Fortunately, everybody else, the guys at Sony were like, that's a hit, that's a smash, and we're going to lead with that song. He hung up on me when, he, when I told him we were going with that as the single. <laughs> I yeah, click. Head of Sony New Zealand, Kimbosha. I think it's just that demo whitest thing, you know. I mean, Campbell was so heavily involved, and to be honest, the record wouldn't be as good if he wasn't involved. He was, you know, he was there every step of the way. Yeah, you just get so close to all the songs, but maybe because we weren't as close to it as Campbell because he was there in the studio for the recording, we really wanted to go with something in the water. But yeah, there were definitely, there were a few nerves, I suppose that's where it came from, you know? I was like, is the video perfect? Um, Have we got the right song? Because we really did have high expectations for this record outside of New Zealand. By the time we got around to recording it, I, of course, was totally on side with that as well, and I knew that it was something special. It ended up being, you know, in multiple videos for line dancing songs on, on YouTube, so it had a particularly different sound about it. With a step, kick, back, touch, shuffle, and roll. Left shuffle back, right shuffle back, back, rock, rock, cover, left shuffle, step, forward, step, forward, turn, with a cross, side, cross, side, rock, behind, side, cross, point, and point, and heel, and heel. One more time, step, kick. It's true, there are so many videos of country line dancers from all over the world dancing to this song, like does of them. It's well worth a Google. Like I say, it all worked out. The song was a smash. It was number one airplay here. 
The reception at local radio for Something in the Water was huge. I mean, this is Dave Riddler, who at the time was the assistant music manager at New Zealand on air. It just sits right in the pocket for radio in terms of it's upbeat, it's catchy, it's very well produced, and it just completely pops on the radio airwaves because it's just got a sound that I think that upbeat nature to it meant that it got a lot of airplay across a wide range of stations as well. So, you know, let's let's call it what, what it was. It was a genuine hit. Brooke Fraser's always been a sweet-sounding musician, but her latest singles pricked up a few ears. Something in the Water has no meaning. It's just a song for, for the pure fun of it and um, a song that would be really fun for me to sing and play live and something for people to tap their toes to. The Sydney-based songwriter says though she wrote and recorded her new album Flags in Los Angeles, it's written for Kiwis. Within three months, Something in the Water had done something that none of Brooke's previous singles had quite managed to do. It had hit number one on the New Zealand music charts. But it didn't stop there. Kim Bosher. I mean, our ambition for Brooke and for all of our artists is always to find an audience outside of New Zealand. Always. But, you know, talk to any New Zealand label or artist, and that is coming from, you know, a small island at the bottom of the Pacific. That is challenging, but it is always our ambition, and it still is. And so we'd had so much success with the first two records that we absolutely hope to sell flags internationally. Richard Perry is a radio plugger based in the UK. Basically, it's his job to take songs to radio on behalf of artists and labels. He was tasked with taking Something in the Water to BBC Radio 2. It just felt like an obvious, great crossover record that fitted the way, the way that radio, the kind of records that Radio 2 play. Because it's funded by the BBC, they purely choose records on basically if they like them. And the last thing you do with Radio 2 is present them stats, you present the record and the artist and the total package. And I thought Brooke was the total package. Everything about the record was right, the length of it, the pace of it, the message of it. Radio 2 agreed, and Something in the Water received A-list rotation, meaning that, just as it had been all over the radio back home in New Zealand, and at this point probably still was, it was heading that way in the UK too. Basically, she moved from the Scala, which is about 800 tickets in London, to um, Shepherd's Bush Empire, which is about 2006. So the public obviously paid attention to it, so that went pretty well for us. From there, something in the water spread into Europe. And that was helped along by pretty relentless touring on the part of Brooke and her band. By 2011, it was a major hit in Austria, Germany, Luxembourg and Switzerland. It charted in France in 2012. <laughs> That was the song that broke up in Europe for us. I spent so much time in Europe off the back of that song. There's a a mountain called the Matterhorn, and I remember playing a music festival up there, and Lauren Hill was headlining the festival, and to get up to where the festival was, you had to catch a train into a mountain or something. It was, like, really crazy. I remember playing a music festival in Germany with Lenny Kravitz and just finding myself in all of these crazy places because of that song. So I wonder if part of it was because there was literally only one line in English and the rest was R, so anyone of any language kind of of grabbed onto it. This was another side effect of the touring and radio play following Flags. Brooke Fraser's fan base exploded. And it's not like it was small before. Brooke Fraser has a fanatical fan base. No matter where you go, 
in the world or what tourer it is in support of what record, there is at its core a fanatical fan base like probably I've not experienced for any of the other artists we've worked for. Um, they'll be at the front uh, for a very long period of time, they'll go to multiple shows, they will sing all the songs. I mean none of these things are that unusual in terms of you know hardcore fans but the intensity was pretty pretty extreme. There are a bunch of reasons why Brooke Fraser fans love her so much, and the music is obviously a pretty big one, but it's also a lot about who she is. A whole part of Brooke's shtick as a performer is to interact with the audience. She, she talks some unbelievable nonsense between songs that's highly entertaining. We used to laugh that a Brooke Fraser concert was generally about you know three songs and an awful lot of chit-chat for an hour and a half, but that's part of the way she communicates with her fans. It's one thing to communicate on stage to thousands, but quite another to meet fans unexpectedly, one-on-one, in a department store, buying underwear. I can be very awkward, like I'm a quite awkward person, and sometimes I don't always know how to deal with awkward situations. Someone in the line behind me, and this is terrible, like I'm, you guys, I'm, a, I'm actually a terrible person, and it manifests itself in these instances. So this person asked me, they're like, oh, excuse me, are you Brooke? And I was so mortified to be standing there holding a pair of nude spanks that I pretended I couldn't speak English. <laughs> I didn't understand them. Like, terrible. Like, why did I do that? Like, I didn't even have a bag that I could hide them. I'm just standing there with these undies in my hand. And, like, they, they know where I'm putting them, you know? It's not, it's not okay. It's not okay. Yeah, it's not okay. There are a bunch of stories like this, of Brooke being maybe not as cool as she might have wanted to be in the moment. Here's one more. We had a day off in Queenstown and we were up the top of like the luge and then we were getting on the gondolas to go back down the mountain and there was like a little gift shop near the gondolas and I just noticed this guy, this small guy, kind of peeking at me from behind like one of the rotating magnet stands and I just, you know, just noticed it and kept on with what I was doing and then he started to get closer to me and like poke his head out and then hide again. And instead of just going up to him and going, hey, you okay? You know, striking up a conversation like a normal person would do, my fight or flight instinct kicked in and I decided that flight was the way to go. And I ran for the gondola and then I was in the gondola and I turned around to see the man from the shop pushing through the gondola line to get on the gondola behind us. And this guy was like banging on the glass of his gondola. So then I, I started panicking. So then our gondola like gets to the bottom of the mountain. We walk up, I start walking really fast. I was like, come on guys, we've got to go, we've got to go. And then the Brooke starts walking gone. faster, so he starts walking faster. She breaks into a jog, so he breaks into a jog. She starts to sprint and so does he. Aha, she thinks, I can get back to the car if I just shortcut through this graveyard. And so there's me running through a cemetery in Queenstown being chased by this small man. I get to the hire car, I jump in, I slam the door, he catches up to the car and he starts banging on the, banging on the windows and laughing maniacally. And so then and so then I was like, right, I've had it. So then I got out of the car and I slammed the door and I say, I am not a monkey. It was my problem, like not his. He was just excited, you know, he wasn't going to hurt me. Like I could have like taken him out in one punch. But for some reason I just panicked and decided that I should start running as fast as I could. And just, yeah, made the whole thing just so much worse. But who does, like who does that? Like why am I this way? I don't know. I just have like weird reactions. Pretending not to speak English while holding undies and being chased through a graveyard aside, Brooke's relationship with her fans is generally really beautiful. Kim Bosher. A lot of people would obviously stop her for photos and things, and Brooke 
she would never just stop and take a photo and keep walking. She would stop and genuinely connect with people. It often meant we were running late, but that's fine. But yeah, like I say, she would sit and she really wanted to know their story and she has a lot of empathy for people. And if they'd been going through a tough time, you know, you could tell that she genuinely felt it as well. Yeah, I have I have these tubs in my garage which are kind of filled with memorabilia and things and from different eras. And one of those um, tubs is filled with letters. I think there's about five big, thick black photo albums that just are filled with letters that I've kept. And I probably, you know, I, reg- I probably should have kept them all. I've, I've, I've lost many of them as the years have gone by, but I am incredibly grateful to have scores, possibly even hundreds of, of letters from people to whom the songs I've written have meant something. Yeah, that's like the craziest privilege. Thank you for listening to episode one of Resonate, the podcast celebrating 10 years since the release of Brooke Fraser's Flags. If you've enjoyed the episode, do tell a friend about it and subscribe. If you do that now, you'll receive the next installments of the series direct to your podcast feed. Coming up in episode two. Being in the car after I'd gotten that that phone call, being on the freeway and looking around at these cars, looking at how normal everybody looked. I remember marvelling that, you know, our, our world had just changed forever, but all these people were still going home from work. Resonate, 10 years of Brooke Fraser's flags was made by Hihi Media in association with Sony Music New Zealand. It was written and hosted by me, Melody Thomas, with research, interviews and editing by Kirsten Johnstone. Executive production is by Gabrielle Everett, who's the Special Projects Coordinator at Sony Music New Zealand. Thank you so much to Brooke Fraser, to CRS Management, Kim Bosher and the team at Sony, Richard Perry, Nick Bollinger and David Ridler. <laughs>